0: Everyone to We Heart Therapy, you're watching EFT Talk. I'm your host, Annabelle Bugatti, licensed marriage and family therapist and certified EFT therapist here in Las Vegas, Nevada. We have Jim Thomas, he's one of our certified EFT trainers and supervisors out of Denver, Colorado. He's the director of the Center for EFT in the Colorado uh, Denver metropolitan area. Many of you might recognize him from some of his trainings. He's a fabulous, uh, supervisor and EFT trainer, and he has a wealth of knowledge and wisdom in EFT. And from what, you know, Jimmy, you have told me that you specialize, you've come from um, a lot of background where you've worked across diverse cultures, families, a lot of trauma, multi-generational issues. You've worked with high-risk youth, worked in children's homes. So he's got a lot of experience with diverse cultures, trauma backgrounds, He's your man. So I'm so excited to have you with us today. And well, today thanks for having me. Thank you again. So today's um, episode comes by special request from some of our um, new beginning EFT therapists. And oftentimes in EFT, we we talk about using curiosity and empathy as, as approaches in EFT. And we kind of throw these phrases around like, just get curious. Yeah. Yeah. So, so today we're going to talk about exactly what those mean. And, and Jim, if you can kind of enlighten us, what do we mean when we say, when we use curiosity, how do we kind of look at that through the EFT lens?
1: I, I like the way you said that, that we just throw these words out there. Mm-hmm. I think. Um, you know, like we'll say like, just put it in the cycle. And then the new person's like, what does that mean to put it in the cycle? You know, um, so so when we're focused, today, at least at the beginning of our conversation, because we'll be curious to see where we go um, about this this place of, of where empathy and curiosity intersect. And um, the first thing that comes to mind is the saying, you know, curiosity killed the cat. That curiosity can be a um, dual-edged sword for a therapist that's working with couples and families, especially if we're we're kind of segueing our work more from being with individuals. I think, at least for me, it's a little easier to be curious and empathic with one person in the room. Now, one person can say whatever they want about other people in their life. And I just can be curious and empathic. Oh, it sounds like your spouse is a real blankety blank. And your boss is so this, and your neighbor is terrible. And that, you know, you put that person in the room with me and they're sitting across the way or next to them on the couch or next to them in the chair, you know, and suddenly there's a person there and my empathy for you and your experience could be threatening to that person. It could be changing, you know, if I truly go in and get really curious and empathic about your experience and like the negative cycle, does that change my view of the person sitting next to me? So I think this thing that sounds simple, just be empathic and curious, have compassion and care, is actually fraught with all sorts of complications because we're human.
0: Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, you know, I love how you say curiosity killed the cat. So sometimes, you know, most often we get curious and, and we're going to talk about curiosity more explicitly in a second, but oftentimes we as a therapist already know what we're looking for and pulling it out. But sometimes the client will surprise us and they they pull this deep, deep, dark thing. And you're like, Oh, I didn't know that was in there. So yeah.
1: (laughs) what Oh my God. Because we're human and we, we get absorbed in stories and you're right. We, we, we think we know where we're going. I mean it's that this wonderful gift so most of the therapists listening are probably um, using emotionally focused therapy with couples or families maybe applying it to individuals um this gift that sue johnson has given to us i i mean uh, um, i think it's powerful right she combined the curiosity of humanistic psychology with the curiosity of systemic thinking you know what's happening inside people and what's happening between people. And then she you know, wedded it with attachment theory and the curiosity about how much we really need each other. And, and so yes, the ideal is to be able to go in and just be genuinely curious about what's happening to you guys here in your struggle. What are your core conflicts? How do you get wrapped up in a negative cycle? What's really happening beneath the surface? What's the meaning of all that? If my anxiety didn't get in the way, my, if I never got triggered, if I never had that reaction you were just talking about, about why you had six affairs, you know, whatever, you know, uh, triggers us, or our blind spots, we don't even know that we didn't ask a curious question. Somebody put something right out there about maybe a potential sign of maybe an active addiction. And because we just don't think about addiction much, we miss, you know, three, four hints until finally the person says, I've been trying to tell you for sessions now, I think that my wife is hooked on blank and you're ignoring me. Mm -hmm. It's tough to to be curious and empathic all the time. Mm
0: -hmm. Can we sort of define what we mean by curious so that some of the new therapists understand what we mean when we're talking about curious
1: yeah i think for me curious is is the open exploration um as agenda free as possible about what's happening now for a person what's been happening to a person what's happening now for a couple what's been happening for the couple Um, that curiosity is the taking of our natural interest in other people we, we humans are fascinated by other humans and, and applying that to the people sitting with us in the, whatever our setting is, um, in our office or agency, or if we're a wilderness therapist while we're out on a hike, or if we're an art therapist while we're they're creating art, and being genuinely curious about, I want to know you, and I want to accept what I find out about you to the best of my ability with... With obvious exceptions that we have to understand safety issues and things like. but but you know i and I think that that curiosity not tethered to empathy they come they, they come together it's like it, the goal is for me to really understand this from your experience, your perspective, and help you not be alone in it mm-hmm. that there's something about being seen and understood that's so primary and primal to the human. This is, I think, part of what Sue talks about that, um, and to be an accepting, caring person in response. So curiosity is, yeah, I wanna know you, and I wanna know, you know, it's the old musical, you know, the getting to know you, getting to know all about you, applied in a therapeutic setting.
0: I love that, that's so perfect. So. What I hear you saying is that curiosity is this exploration of the client, getting to know them with, with a stance, a tone of interest of, you know, in the in the spirit of exploration and acceptance rather than kind of telling the client, oh, I know what this is. I know why you're doing that. It's more like, well, what, what happens for you? I'm kind of curious what comes up where even though we may have a sense of where this might be going, we're trying to invoke it from them to convey that we are genuinely interested in their...
1: Yes. I love what you said, a stance. Um, It is. It's sort of a stance that I have to keep strengthening in myself. I have to channel, like... I have to channel, I think, my favorite humanist of the 20th century, and, and I think... It was Rogers and I Let's say Fred Rogers, you know, our minds go to Carl, but you know, and Fred said that anything that's human is mentionable and anything that is mentionable can become more manageable. If we can talk about our feelings, they become less overwhelming and less upsetting and less scary. The people we trust with that important talk can help us know that we are not alone. This is, the stance, the, the philosophy, the value, the encouraging my inner curiosity, encouraging the part of me that, that can accept and embrace with an open heart, encouraging having my heart grow three times this day, mm-hmm. like the Grinch when somebody shares something with me, where my first, look, we have judgment. We, we do break the world up into dichotomies and into groups and into we, we all are going to walk around with some implicit bias about something is going to get triggered this week or next week. We, you guys, we can all count on it, right? We can all like message each other, <laughs> create a little, you know, message board and say, how did you get triggered today? And wouldn't it be nice if we could be curious about how we get triggered and not judge each other's therapists that we get triggered? I mean, there's, there's layers and layers of this stuff. It's out in our culture, we're wrestling with, you know, what can we talk about and not talk about and what's safe and what's not safe and, and, and safe zones and what's politically correct and how can we get more honest with each other? And I think for me, I go all the way back to early on, the curiosity about cross-cultural differences that when I was early in my work at Denver Children's Home, most of the families I was working with were people of color. And most often, even though I was not making a ton of money, I had a house, to me it was in a lower end suburban neighborhood, but to the kids I was working with, I lived in a castle. And the first time one of these young people in a group, teenager, said, you live in a castle. I told them I didn't. Then I was dropping that person off at their where they lived and it was in an alley above a mechanic's garage in in a small apartment. And I I said, how many bedrooms? And they said, one. And I said, don't you have like 10 or 11 relatives that live with you? And he says, yeah, of course I do. And the next time some kid in group said, you live in a castle, I said, I know. I let myself be curious about that. Where is this coming from? What's it like to have a white therapist when you're like an inner city black kid? or you're an asian immigrant or you're native american hispanic with a bit of norwegian you know what's it like to have somebody wearing a sport coat when you you, you can't uh, i say you should dress up you got to go to court and talk to the judge and you're like dress up what does that mean I, I don't have money for fancy clothes like what is it like to have to take the bus to get to these appointments and not drive a car and, and it just pulled in me this natural curiosity about how how are we different and how are we the same and it's that's the stance that i want to have that's the stance i want to have and it gets challenged all the time i like as soon it's like skiing moguls here you know i'm skiing the moguls and i'm hitting the bumps and as soon as i say to myself wow i'm really hitting the bumps it's usually when i crash it's like as soon as i think wow i'm really accepting in comes the family or the person, which oh, I'm sorry. Um, I, I yeah, a family or person who's gonna challenge that for me. And, and can I see that as opportunity to grow? Can I be accepting and curious and empathic about my own reactivity? It's, it's layers.
0: So I love what you're saying and, and curiosity is, is multifaceted in EFT. So let's kind of peel back the layers and go through this because okay. there's many functions. So, um, at the first part, it helps us really. So in EFT, we're all about, we don't, we don't want to tell the client how they feel. We want to invoke it. Oh, okay.
1: from, so know, let's do it through the steps, you know, step one in the model assessment and attunement. I'm curious about what brought you here. Mm -hmm. I'm curious about what kind of core conflict you're struggling with. I'm curious about what it's like to be here. I'm curious about whether you've been in similar situations. Have you been in couples therapy before? I'm curious about what that experience was like. I'm curious about what you're looking for here and what you hope for from me and how I can best serve you. Oh, and look. You appear to have a cycle. I'm curious about that. I'm curious about your response or reaction to me saying maybe you have a cycle. I'm curious about your cycle. I'm curious about what it's like to be in your cycle. And I feel myself calming down as I say these things, right? And I'm curious about that reaction I just saw in you. I'm curious about how you just turned away from her and folded your arms. And I'm curious about you just told me you don't want to talk about it. I'm curious about what's that like for you to tell me you don't want to talk about it, but I don't go away. Because I want to know what it's like that you have to turn away from her and fold your arms. And I'm curious about what I just saw in your eyes. I saw a little bit of sadness go by. I'm curious about you're tearing up now. What's this like? I'm curious, has anybody ever paid attention to you like this when you were a kid? Curious, did anybody ever come to you with like milk and cookies and say, Bob, what's it like? to be a little guy? What's it like to be a third grader? What do you get excited about? What do you get scared about? And I'm curious, your wife reached over and touched your shoulder and your shoulder slumped and you turned back to her and you're making eye contact with her. What does it mean to you that your wife reached out and touched you even though you were turned away? What's happening now? I'm curious about what's happening now. And pretty soon I can thread all of this together what i just did actually came out of a core skills group i was working in leading five six years ago here and, and um i said what if we were to describe each of the steps and the key moves in EMT through the lens of curiosity and this is what they came up with they went off into different groups and they all came back with we could pretty much look at all everything and this is what Sue's telling us she says we're process consultants
0: yeah
1: process consultants are curious they're not they're not a yeah anyway I
0: that's where I go yeah so we're really it's when you do that I kind of feel like it's this rope pulling the information out of the client but you know obviously if they're inviting yeah if they feel interrogated they're going to close up shop but we don't want them to do that. And that's this is part of the art of the experiential therapy is, again, we want to invoke everything from the client because we know that having the client, you know, talk about themselves, give us the info. Because we, we you know, always, as a good therapist, you're going to have a sense, right? But we don't know everything. And we want to make sure that we're not missing something that we aren't too quick to to jump to those conclusions that we know everything without unpacking it first. But we're able... By being curious, it, it creates this tone of interest of, I want to know you in a way that feels inviting to the client, because most people on this planet are looking to be heard. They all have a story and they want to tell. Um. It. And when you, you know, send them this signal that I want to know more about you, I care about you, it helps them to open up and share their story. And that's what we want. And we want it to come from them so that they're really present in the moment rather than us dictating to them. So by getting curious, we're able to invoke that. So that's one of the folds. but the well, other- let's,
1: tie, let's tie what you're saying into the, the part where this, it dances with empathy. Mm-hmm. Because I can be curious, but if I'm not active and purposeful in my attunement, if I'm not actively and genuinely reflecting back what I'm hearing, um, maybe making some small conjectures and guesses and validating somehow in my presence, in my voice tone, in my reflections, validating that I understand that this is part of your human experience. I understand that you came by this honestly. You didn't mean to become a two-dimensional person in a position to your spouse you didn't this was not in your wedding vows i have i used to i haven't said it in the last six months or so or a year but i i would say i'll bet this wasn't in your wedding vows that you would get to a place where you were so angry or you get to a place where you shut down and and then so the part two i think that we some people can be very curious as therapists but we don't share enough back we don't say enough back about the impact it's having on us and we don't reflect enough. I mean, one of the most common supervisory things I end up telling people is you you have way more internal empathy than you're sharing. Mm-hmm. The reason Sue says empathic responsiveness is at the core of the both in the therapy relationship and what we're trying to access for the couple. And these empathic reflections are important. Plus, when I'm empathically reflecting and sharing and diving into it with the person, it slows me down. Mm -hmm. So that I, my curiosity leads to greater understanding and sense of the person, which leads to more curiosity, which leads me to discover new things about them or with them, which leads to me sharing empathically that I'm here and I see you and you're not alone in this. I see you as a couple and you're not alone in this. Somebody is getting your cycle. Somebody is understanding the pain. I can surface the pain and tolerate the pain, Because I have empathy for what it's like to be in pain and not be able to talk about it. And I think that's what Fred was saying. Anything that's human is mentionable. Um,
0: And that's what we want the clients to do is mention what's inside. It's like the client is like um, a budding flower and curiosity is the magic wand that gets that flower to open up and bud. And we want to see what's inside because that's what we're here for, to see what's inside and to help them share that with their partner, help their partner see that, help them be seen. And-
1: I love that, the way you're talking about, yeah, we're trying to
0: mm-hmm.
1: let that bud open up and we're we're like watering it and giving it sun and stuff through the curiosity.
0: Yeah. Yes, and curiosity, another, another you know, um, thing that curiosity accomplishes is helping us to avoid coming off you know, with the bias, you know, making sure that we don't jump too quickly to, oh, I already know what's underneath this again, you know, because there could be more that's inside there, but also it helps the client not feel judged, right? Because there are clients that come in and again, the bias, you know, maybe they've had an affair and it's easier to be empathic with the wounded partner, but we know that there's two people. Right, right. that's right. why the affair took place we don't we don't even have to go into oh affairs are wrong right we don't even have to show up in that way because we're already going to see it on the partner that this was hurtful so we don't even have to go into judgment about affairs but and this isn't about you know um condoning their behavior you know we all can agree that their behavior was hurtful but we want to get curious about what happened for them what was it like for them in the relationship that led them to this place that they felt like they needed to turn out everyone's got a story and getting curious can help us align with that person without coming off as judgmental and it can help our own heart not take that judgmental stance and really as much as we can try to clear the biases out of the room and just align with the client and be with their experience And it gets them to open up and share in a way that's natural. So if somebody, so when we say just get curious, you know, when, when we feel like we hit roadblocks, it could be because we're kind of going straight at it and we, and you know, they're feeling us like, oh, I think I know what you're, what's happening here. And instead, again, when we get curious, it helps them to open up and share what's underneath that block, right? Right for you now right
1: it's again that magic wand in session that helps them open up right it's uh fred rogers said something about that That in times of stress the best thing we can do for each other is listen with our ears and our hearts Mm -hmm. that's the best thing we can do well they can't do that for each other in this model We like stage one the first phase of this therapy they're they're they have insecurity in their emotional bond with each other and and they're triggering each other into reactivity that that whole sense of like you know your 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 way of of processing emotionally and dealing with me rubbing your raw spot comes up through like you have your initial appraisal which i need to be curious about and you know your uh-oh and ouch and then your body starts to have a response that probably feels vulnerable then you have a secondary appraisal and Incomes like working models, attachment or attributions, and it's got Woolley's cycle, right? And, and now that changes my bodily response and gears me for an emotional action tendency that through the law of parsimony, unfortunately, probably triggers you into your own uh-oh, you know, ouch, and, and your own uh, um, bodily response and your own secondary attrib- you know, your attribution and appraisal into your own, um, your body's changing, you're geared for an action that it happens to trigger me. And so we have to be the ones that, that the best thing we can do for the couple is to listen with ours and our hearts. And, and how do we, I think it's aspirational, Annabelle. I think it's how do we move beyond these things they they often have to start as therapeutic techniques. We often have to revisit them as therapeutic techniques. I often, you know, out of like the addiction world, there's a, 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 a saying, fake it till you make it. I'll get this partner or couple that I just can't find the compassion. So I have to act as if I understand, act as if I get it, act as if I, until you know Aristotle, I think who said if you there's a, if there's a quality like bravery that you want, act as if you have it and soon it will be yours. Act as if you're curious with the couple where you're not get support. I have to go get support when people get on my last nerve. Mm-hmm. I have to talk to somebody and say I got this couple and this one partner I just I try I try to do all that I try to channel Fred Rogers and Carl Rogers and Sue Johnson and I just secretly wish they'd cancel their sessions or they just would get it, you know? Why can't they get it? And I become sort of like a harsh pursuer, you know, or I become a shutdown withdrawer. I I withdraw from them or I want to, I get frustrated, Mm -hmm. right? Frustrated. I wrote a blog entry once, about frustration is the most dangerous emotion in, in the humanistic therapist when it's indulged, right? We turn from this curious, empathic, compassionate place to stern, That's a shock, right? What happened? I didn't think I was doing reality therapy with you, you know, I I thought I was getting this humanistic systemic EFT. Right. But can we listen to these things like frustration and listen to them as cues that something's going on for us?
0: And And even the therapist, their own, I love the flower bud, closing up. Yeah. Longer open, we've closed up, right? And we're protecting, you know, and, I love, I love how you talk about getting triggered because most of the time a lot of therapists think, oh, the trainers are perfect. This never happens to them. <laughs> they never get triggered by a client.
1: Daily, weekly, you know, I guess part of it, I've done this a long time I, and I love this work. Let me be clear. I, I, I have some like 28,000, maybe I've, I lost track. I'm probably getting close to 30,000 clinical hours. I've worked across a bunch of I've worked with trauma, I've worked with addiction, I've worked with multi-generational transmission of abuse and adverse childhood experiences and across cultures and across economics. And And I love this word. I, I sometimes introduce myself outside of the EFT world if I'm giving a talk, I say, hi, I'm Jim and I'm a happy therapist. Jim always gets a laugh. Like, what? Happy therapist? Um, I find great joy in this curiosity and empathy. I, I'm at a point now where, I mean, the primary practice I'm doing is two day and three day intensives with couples and families that one couple or family at a time are coming here to, to Lakewood to the Denver area to do therapy with me for, and, and for two intense days. And I'm passionate about that. And, um, and it's a constant curiosity about what's, what, what's getting triggered in me? What just got triggered in you? Can we talk about being triggered? Can we be more human in this? I think that's the other part of it the danger in having a map, we have this map that Sue's have given us and people have added to. We have outcome research indicating it works and we have process research about key moves and we have interventions that are named and we have an idea of steps and we have the great gift of the empty Tango. Um, thank goodness for that, which I think, you know, Becca sort of helped bring out of Sue in a conversation. Um, and and And, in the end, I think it's kind of what Carl Rogers said, one of the last things he said, he was at the Evolution of Psychotherapy conference. I'm gonna paraphrase it, I don't remember exactly, how I said it about six weeks before he dies and they're interviewing him and they say, what do you, where do you see the field going? This is like 1980s, managed care is hitting and have, you know, create a cookbook, let's behavioral focus. And Carl said something, a paraphrase said, I, where I find myself going is I'm pulled more and more and more to just show up in the room as fully as possible as Carl and to be with the person who's in the room with me. Unfortunately, I don't see the field heading in that direction. And EFT is part of like trying to reclaim that, that, that this is a relational thing. It's about being with people and then being with ourselves mm-hmm. and lobbying. I think, what is it, Uh, Fred also said, love isn't a state of perfect caring. It's an active noun-like struggle. To love someone is just trying to accept that person exactly the way he or she is, right here and right now. The most reactive couple, the affair in which the person's in denial about the impact of the affair, the addiction. And this is the world I live in, I think, where I had to get curious because my work keeps bringing me to that intersection of addiction, pain, Trauma and shame. That, that, where are these, you know, so often there's at least two of those in our toughest couples. Mm-hmm. There's some addiction and shame, or there's addiction and pain that's not being talked about, or there's pain and trauma that's not being addressed. There's shame and trauma. There's, or there's three of these. And it can be overwhelming to be in the face of that. We have to be more gentle with ourselves. Yeah. You know, Mac, Max Erman said, beyond a wholesome discipline, be gentle with yourself. I want us all to be gentle with ourselves as we go on this journey. Be curious about the experience for our couples, but also for ourselves and each other to have empathy and to seek compassion in this, that EFT is a world that just keeps generating compassion. And I think that's, that's a great gift we're giving to the whole sort of therapy mm-hmm. process.
0: So this is where curiosity and empathy really come together and, and bridge paths. So, with curiosity, you know, it helps us explore with the spirit of interest. I want to know you in a way that helps elicit more from the client, helps them open up rather than close down. Because, well, even wow.
1: there, just take that. Take what if it was agenda free? So, right. even it's so it's because I do this too, but wait, curiosity in a way that just meets them where they are because it may not open them up. Some people's response to curiosity is not. Like I'm a trauma survivor and the person who molested me showed a lot of curiosity in me and then they molested me. Oh. So your curiosity is freaking me out. Mm -hmm. Empathy is a very dangerous thing for me because when you empathize with me and I start to relax, I'm flooded with shame. Yeah. Your curiosity and empathy about why I'm using and, and asking me what, I, what benefits I get from my use, this thing I struggle with, and we call addiction, is bringing up for me this, this tough place of looking at it in a different way and I wanna push you away. That to think of curiosity and empathy as just bringing forth what's actually happening for the person now and it may not open them up or it's opening them up on the inside, but they can't show you.
0: Right. But by getting curious, we're going to be able to reflect what we see on the outside. Again, that experiential, and this is where gestalt comes in handy, because that is, you know, of, well, a, one of the effects of EFT. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Yeah. Being able to see, okay, I'm curious as to, you know, something I see or your shoulders kind of turned in, you kind of turned away as, I asked you about this experience now. So, again, even though they may close off, continuing in the spirit of curiosity helps to find out what's happening, again, without bombarding them, without it feeling completely dangerous. We may have to adjust our curiosity. Can I play with
1: what you're saying just a little bit more before we stop? Because I think this is important. And it's a place I wrestle with. So, we teach most what we teach best what we most need to learn. It's like, because the longer. You know, I do this. The more I can recognize patterns quicker, and I can, and, and I, and yes, I, my, I want to open hearts and inspire growth and deepen connection in the couple and in myself. Um, but, but to be genuinely curious. So I think about this. I, I saw a workshop once. I, I wish I could reference the person who taught it. I don't remember their name, but it was at an AMFT conference about. The difference between genuine curiosity and hostile curiosity. Now I think about it as genuine curiosity versus like an agenda based curiosity. And and at the core, what they said was, if you have genuine curiosity and you ask a powerful question, you'll accept the answer. Mm -hmm. And if you have an agenda based curiosity, and I think this place at which we can start to say, of course you don't wanna talk about your addiction. Of course, nobody helped you with trauma, so why should we, it's, you feel like it's always gonna be there unhealed. Of course, there's this toxic absorbing shame that, that's shutting you down. Of course, you don't, you, this pain is too much for you to handle and your partner won't respond. And not exp, it's, it's that quote when, when um, I think it was Carl Rogers, who said, the curious paradox is that when I accept myself as I am, then I begin to change or evolve, he would say later, right? I'm putting, I'm coming more into myself. And aren't we doing that for each other? Trying to do that on this video talk, trying to do that for our couples. The curious paradox is when I accept the most wicked negative cycle, there's room for it to start to evolve. When I accept that the partner that had the affair got a ton out of it maybe, and it's scary for them to think about saying that, the possibility that they'll say that increases. When I understand why people get into harsh pursuit and don't try to change it, I just try to sit with it. I increase the chances that the person will go under that harshness and it's this is a constant stance I love your word stance to not see it as an intervention let's take curiosity and empathy out of the realm of a technique and into the realm of a way of being that's how I would summarize it
0: i really I really love that and and I think with Genuine curiosity, according to the EFT model, we kind of can capture both, where it has agenda and not an agenda, right?
1: Exactly. It's a paradox of like we right. want to go to a place, but we're not trying to force that. We're inviting and, like you say, evoking, eliciting, rather than pushing. Right.
0: The yeah. agenda might be I'm working on a step three. I want to, you know, dig to primary emotion, but I'm not so confined. Like Sui says, don't be so confined by the steps and the stages that you're not flexible. So. I may be trying to evoke primary emotion, but I really want to dig and, find and go with whatever comes up. So yeah. having that flexibility to go with that. And, yes. and with genuine curiosity, again, part of that acceptance is that empathy, right? So that, that really becomes helpful. Again, helping therapists, again, avoid judgment for the client, avoiding judgment for themselves. And by getting curious, we're saying, explore, go with it you know, show them that you're interested because, you know, we want, we want it all to come from the client. It's going to help it set in more when they come up with these responses, not when we're spoon feeding it. We may have to sometimes, but we want to try to evoke as much as we can. And curiosity can go a very long way. And, you know, something I learned very early on is that all of these blocks, these triggers, these reactions that clients come up with in session the root is always pain. If they're getting yep. really angry, if they're closing up shop and they, they shut down and they won't talk, you've hit something very important. And yes. to me, when I've understood that there is pain at the center of that and that the re- whatever behavioral response I'm seeing now is a reflection of that. I don't get so triggered by it because I know I've just stepped on something important and now I want to lean into it and get curious. And Getting curious helps us explore the blocks, what's coming up. It can help us get further. So when when we say get curious, we're saying explore, go on an exploratory mission. But we also want to help with empathy, right? Empathy helps us validate that place, meet the place where the client is. And maybe we've never had an affair. Maybe we've never done drugs. But we can understand what it's like to be in deep emotional pain, right? But maybe
1: we've... we've Uh, Not told our partner that we're, uh, I guess something more innocent, you know, that instead of eating the healthy lunch that we packed because we said we're trying to, you know, lose weight or or just eat healthier, we didn't eat it and we ran out to McDonald's and we didn't tell them, you know, like, like, it's, it's there, but for the great God go I, you know, that we're, we're all human and I had to work. I mean, literally. I worked with a young person who had murdered somebody at a young age, you know, mm-hmm. and, and had to work and find the part of me that could understand murder and could understand that I probably have that inside me. I have, if, if in the right circumstances, right? Uh,
0: you know, it's so interesting as you say that the show The Alienist, the guy actually, yeah. everybody has the parts inside of them. It's when they, they come together in the right combination and spontaneously combust by some external event. Right. Wow. <laughs>
1: yeah, yes, like, like we'll say things like, oh my gosh, you know, those Nazis or those, those, those oppressors, those, those people that own slaves, you know, they were terrible. And I try to remember they were people like me living in their times mm-hmm. I have, and, and I'm not saying that to, to excuse, but right, find, I if I can find that in myself, then I can, I'm more accepting of it. You know, right. we're talking about it too. Uh, let's tether curiosity and empathy that we do have other stances in common. Of course. In EFT, that, to tether this, like we have a belief in their attachment, right? And their attachment right. system. So we're curious about, like Gail Palmer said once, um, we're curious about what happens to them when they feel connected. and, safe and what happens to them when they don't and most everything else is noise yeah we are trying to tune in we do have a bias towards Mm -hmm. i'm going to go towards their bond and and a a vulnerable expression of their bond i go more towards tears and fears i want to lean in and linger on what's most vulnerable but i also how can i be curious about the reactivity How can i be curious about the shutdown and the harshness and Right. And so, uh, just so we tether it because it's a floaty. It can be an ethereal conversation at some point. And the other point I think is what you were saying. You've made this progress, right? You're like, and we've, we, we, this is part of the EFT journey that's harder to t- train and teach. Is you find yourself now leaning towards pain and seeing, oh, there's probably pain here. There's probably pain behind this reactivity. There's pain underneath this shutdown. There's pain underneath this shame or this addiction. There's pain about the trauma that's never been healed. Um, And I think for us to be curious and empathic and compassionate, as Neff would say, you know, the self-compassion around our own reactivity to pain when it comes up and the partner can't respond and we're reacting, we're having a reaction to something to give ourselves what we're trying to give them that beyond a wholesome discipline to be, gentle with ourselves to accept their cycle to understand that everybody has one to accept that it's hard to share primary emotion when you don't feel safe it's hard to lean into the attachment meaning of all this if you don't know if your partner's gonna be there and to find a way to like them in the midst of their craziness and that's a lot closing. i'm talking about fred he said once i try to find something to like about everyone I meet and even in the shortest interactions I'm trying to do that he said when I say it's you I like I'm talking about that part of you that knows that life is far more than anything you can ever see hear or touch that deep part of you that allows you to stand for those things without which we cannot survive that love that conquers hate that peace that rises triumphant over war and that justice that proves more powerful than greed that we channel of that he was like the winston churchill for curiosity and empathy (laughs) you ask what is our aim our aim is accepting and understanding and joining people in their struggle
0: and that's really i think what it means to empathize is to have compassion not only for the client but for ourselves because you know, learning EFT is a journey and to do it well, I mean, it, it takes a long time to really master these skills. And we're all struggling. And, and even when you're a pro, you still struggle and get stuck. So he still to- struggles. Yes. Yeah.
1: Watch, if she's watching this video, hi sue, you know,
0: <laughs> and she'll <laughs> yeah. say
1: it, she'll come on that EFT listserv every once yeah. in a while, say me too, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it's really being able to, you know, have compassion for yourself, for your client, being able to really practice acceptance and finding a way, I love how you said that, finding a way to like everybody. And you may not like their behavior, we're not asking you to like their behavior, but finding the one part of them that you can connect to. And maybe you've never responded to your spouse or acted out in the way that they have. But when you get to the core, when you get to the pain, right? Crawl into their pain. Use that as the entry for empathy, right? Have you ever been in so much emotional pain that you've done something you've regretted, that you've said something you've regretted, that you've turned away from a partner? Maybe not to the extent that the people in front of you are, but could you imagine being in that much pain that you felt you had no other option than to respond that way? And that's where you join. Join them in the pain. Well, when
1: you're talking like that, I feel that invite, that pull, that that, like, come on out. We're playing hide and seek. Come on out. We all have this. We're all...
0: And I think that's where a lot of therapists get stuck in, in other models is they get stuck at the behavior and they fail to see the pain behind the behavior. And that's the key to unlocking everything and to helping to shift that behavior is to getting to the underlying pain because that behavior... Is some kind of a response or a coping strategy for that pain.
1: Yes. Well, and that that relates to what you were saying about invoking and eliciting, and that that's from the we want these things to come, you know, in terms of the brain, you know, like the limbic system up into mm-hmm. to, to cognitive awareness. Um, this is why so often I don't know, a lot of you probably see this that emotional withdrawers when they start feeling safe in your office and they're delving into primary emotion. Go off and say things, and then the pursuer is like, What? And if you support the withdrawer, you find out this is the first time I'm putting this all together. It's the first time I've had access to these powerful emotions. It's your, you as therapists are helping me feel safe, even though my partner and I are still caught up in our cycle. I start to get new understanding. I will say, I like the bottom-up approach to think, you know, how do we help them have an experience from the bottom-up while giving them these top-down cognitive sort of frames about, like, attachment in the cycle, not trying to teach them out of this pain, right? right. But we do want to give them those frames. Um, so you're joining- but, but I do think sometimes, like, I think it's okay to, if you have a client who responds well to, you offer them a conjecture and they love it. You give them a word for something and they love it because maybe they just never got this stuff as a kid. You reframe something and they love it. To lead with that, you know, it's okay. Empathic conjecture is an important part of this. Sue says when we have a name for like an emotion, we do better. Um, and I think I, I want us to all to avoid turning sort of heuristic advice into algorithmic dogma. It's I think we have to find our way like Jung said, you know, he, he, he told his students, learn everything you can about archetypes and, and psyche and, and, and religion and the unconscious and all that and then go be with, leave it in, in the waiting room and go be with the people. We have to, you know, learn everything we can about attachment and the cycles and the model and the steps and the tangle and then go be with the people with the people that are with us and we're people too and and
0: And realize this yeah and realizing that when you have one or two or five people in your room in the therapy room that everybody has their pain and when you can be with them right and find that way to connect with them to join with them to like something right find that entry point. That is, you know, where the other phrase we would use in EFT, relentless empathy. That yeah. means never lift off the empathy, never take your foot off the gas pedal of empathy. That is the other part of the magic trick to making a flower bloom. You yeah. know, and so That feels like magic, because when you lead in with, with empathy, you start to see people who have never, had words for their experiences or never described them, describe it for the first time. And it feels so powerful and so amazing. And when you're a part of that, where they're first connecting the dots, it feels so beautiful, right? And I think that's amazing. And, you know, just, I love what you said about, you know, finding something to like about everybody that's part of the relentless empathy. You don't have to like their behavior, but you can find something else to like about them, the emotional pain, You know, we've all been in emotional pain. Maybe we haven't responded the way they have, but being able to join them in that pain reflecting back how difficult that must have been that's the empathy the relentless empathy is empathy for everybody not just for you because i get your behavior better than i get yours it's we've got two people (laughs) yeah
1: for you for you for your relationship for me for us for our relationship and you know I, i love what you're saying because i find i'm not trying to talk people out of what they do in their cycle I'm exploring it with it. I'm like Michael Barnett says, you know, trying to decriminalize through the exploration, through their personal exploration and this bottom-up process, they start to get like, oh, no wonder I do that and no wonder you do that. And that's how they de-escalate the cycle and do the deeper work, that we're not trying to talk people out of things. And then that remembering that you just describe something very beautiful, right? You open someone up. But what happens out there, guys, when and best, you're learning this model and you open up and what you find is something that feels like toxic sludge or you find you know desperate pain and a sobbing and I wish he or she would just respond to me and they look over and the the other person is going like you know or they're stern and or we find intense shame and, and we say can you share that when this happens in the cycle you feel like so small and alone and you have a pit in your stomach and the person says well I don't care because what do we do and have empathy and compassion for ourselves and remind ourselves, this song that I really like, that I, I, I believe I have this vague memory of talking to Sue about this song. I think I'm um, liking it too. It's an old sting song. And he's singing about how um, on and on the rain, it falls like tears from the sky, like tears from the sky. On and on the rain, it calls, falls. And on and on the rain, it's, says how fragile we are how fragile we are and to bring this back in the end to this is a very difficult life to live alone and you can be with somebody but if you are either in harsh pursuit or shut down withdrawal you have this bond that you never get to really relax into you never really get to be celebrated as just who you are you never you don't get all those benefits of a secure attachment that makes this very fragile existence often what's, what makes it worthwhile. Mm-hmm. That what Fred was calling out to us and saying to children, you know, it's okay, this life's tough. Yeah. But, and that the greatest gift we can give is to know someone mm-hmm. and to accept them and love them as they are. How do we learn to love negative cycles? How do we love to learn defenses and shut down and harsh pursuit? How do we learn to love um, people who deny their attachment needs? How do we learn to love people who get flooded by them? How do we learn to love ourselves and like ourselves in the journey on good days and bad? And who knows if it's even a bad day? We might be having a great day. We may be learning something that we're just not aware of yet, so.
0: Yeah, empathy and I love, you know, quoting Mr. Rogers, you know, so such a beautiful man, you know, really loving other people, loving humans, including ourselves, right? And understanding that people in pain and who are afraid of being hurt, you know, need intense amounts of love, right? And, And so... Being able okay. to look at you you know
1: i like this about you that you you have a passion you want you want therapists to be resourced and so you created a video series and you invite trainers to come on and we blither and blather and hopefully say something useful to somebody and,
0: oh a lot <laughs> yeah
1: but 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 again i see it i see that you know you're you you um you're taking something that, you know, maybe a curiosity about how can we help people in this therapist journey and that paradox that we both need to struggle. But if we have help and mentors and community, the struggle doesn't have to feel as hard. And maybe we can get through the struggle a wee bit faster. You know, this, this paradox, right? That, that, to, right.
0: Have a with us, to have somebody there with us. Yeah. yeah.
1: If I can be there for somebody that's listening, you know, and you can be there for me. And and, and, and to know, I, I tell you, I struggle all the time with this stuff. It kicks my therapy b- butt, you know, behind and, and, um, just, and, uh, my love for people and my, the size of my heart is, I feel like it gets bigger and bigger and I'm welcoming people and visualizing and people are coming from all around the country to see me. I don't know how that happened, you know, um, I've been doing these intensives for like 10 years and I love them. I'm on my, and i'll be sitting in an intensive and all of a sudden it's a struggle how do we go be in the struggle that was you know I, I do this gaining tractions get to softening workshop that came out of some discussions with sue and some my own experiences and i'm going to be going to edmonton it's like may 26th to the 29th and we're doing a three-day version of it and co-created with the eft community there and, and I just love going in there and getting in the struggle. Yeah. And then let's find our strengths and our experience and our hope while acknowledging our vulnerabilities and our doubts and our fears and make this community safe for that, which is this top notch, the MT community has so many levels. I can say this too, as a trainer, you know, and there's other trainers that we've done this, we've been to a lot of communities, what feels so personal, even as a therapist or within a community, is universal. The struggles we, we all face are very, very similar. And if you're out there thinking, no, 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 it's me, I'm the only one, you're not, am not alone.
0: Yeah, empathy, empathy for yourself, empathy for each other. And empathy, the more we can empathize and be with somebody where they are, the more our heart opens to to loving them in some way even if it's just for the hour that they're in our chair in our Nothing office more precious yes yes so kind of to to sum up you know what we've talked about is that empathy and curiosity are two strategies in EFT that help us really open up the client really help them feel you know that we're genuinely interested help them you know help convey a stance or take help us take a stance that you know, doesn't convey judgment that helps to as much as it can to remove bias and helps us to join with the client and find a way to, to join with them and come alongside them, you know, regardless of the behavior, regardless of of what they've done or what's getting triggered in
1: us. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: Regardless of that, it helps us to find that way to join with them and be with them and to find something to like in them. And even though they may have done something hurtful, because we've all done something hurtful, right? And so to have somebody come alongside you, and it makes it safer. The real key point is that it makes it safer. And that's what we want in EFT is safety to explore, to unpack, to help them experience and go deeper into this. You said to be able to soon as that paradox as soon as i've accepted this then change starts to happen well that's what we want to do is help bring it out to the surface put it on the table practice acceptance so then we can start going in that direction i love it
1: you should be out there speaking i hope you go and do so. you get passionate it's nice
0: thank you thank you i love eft and i love that people love eft and you know it is kind of a religion for me because it it promotes acceptance, right? We're no longer pathologizing and telling people something's wrong with you because you're needy, right? We pathologized having attachment needs, which you know drives me crazy. You know, I think
1: right? it's an aspirational way of being, yeah. the way of showing up in relationships, and yeah. that we're all going to sort of show, fall short of. But it's best to move in the direction of yeah. what you're talking about—that love yeah. and acceptance—and we're human and. Yeah. So um, so we, we, we can finish up. Let me just um, share a few activities that I'm involved in that, pe- that people wanna, if you, you yeah, I'm gonna be in London um, and with, with Lori Brubaker from North Carolina, um, July 4th, 5th and 6th, the third international um, EFT school. If you Google like third international EFT school, you can find out about that. So come over there. Um, I have three externships coming up. I have one here in Denver. May 30th through June 2nd, I, I one in Austin a couple weeks later that you can find out about, um, uh, and one in Cincinnati um, in September, I want to say September 26th and 29th, um, thanks Cheryl Gooch and her crew for promoting that, Joe Contu in Austin, all the support, the helpers that come help here in Denver. Um, It's a wonderful, vibrant community here in Colorado. We've just got the best supervisors and therapists. It's amazing, really blessed. And um, I'll be in Portsmouth in October. Those dates escape me, but it's during the leaf season. It's like the third weekend in October doing a workshop on withdrawers. Learning to lean in and love our withdrawers. For my intensives and stuff to learn more about my practice and some of the things I'm doing, you can go to www.jimthomas.care. And for trainings, um, Colorado ColoradoEFT.com. So jimthomas.care, ColoradoEFT.com. I just want to wish you all the best. I want to thank you because this is a wonderful thing you're doing. I feel honored to be here. And um, thank you for having me.
0: Thank you so much for being on our show. It's just an honor to have you. Your your wealth of wisdom is just amazing. And you've provided so much wonderful, just nuggets of inspiration and wisdom through our talk today. So thank you again so much. And everyone, I'm gonna put a link to Jim's sites on the description for this video so that you can just click on those. And make sure that you look him up and contact him if you'd like to bring him to your area and have a training, or if you're interested in coming out to wherever he is and attending one of his trainings, make sure you look that up. And thank you again so much, Jim, for being on our show. Thanks to our viewers for staying tuned. Make sure that you hit subscribe because more episodes are on the way. Thank you.